This is Food First Michigan on 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone. Thanks for listening. Living cross-culturally for almost a decade taught me things I would have never known otherwise, especially about food. I learned that some things in life live, exist, and thrive across cultures, continents, and even centuries. Some things are permanent, fixed, and true. Shared teachings, experiences, and values bind us together. Here's an example. Think about the times when you were young and your parents tried to teach, coerce, and even bribe you to eating your vegetables. I've seen parents do this across the continents. They never had to bring any external influence on me to eat ice cream or chocolate cake, but carrots? Yes, they did. Why? For my parents, my dad in particular, he knew hunger. Born in 1914, growing up in the Great Depression, losing one of his parents and being shipped off to work on the family's tobacco farm taught him a lot about the value of food and other things. My dad never threw anything he thought he could use away. He didn't hoard junk, but he did keep things that he thought he might need. Recently, the President of the United States shared a message about food and the supply chain. President Biden said, food shortages will be real. And that is a powerful statement and brings tons of questions. Food shortages for who, where, and for how long? Is this like the chip shortages the car makers are experiencing? Or is this like a mild inconvenience, like when I order something from Amazon and it suddenly takes longer to get to me than expected? Or are we talking bread lines, soup kitchens, and longer food bank lines than in the pandemic? If it is happening, why is it happening? Jerry and I have talked to leaders of retail grocery store chains and to the leaders of the ag industry here in Michigan. And we are ready to unpack this hot topic with you today on Food First Michigan. Thanks for listening, everyone. Welcome back. Jerry, uh, just recently, to in- help introduce our show today, I did an interview with Guy Gordon as he was a uh, uh, works. Uh, filling in, I guess, for Paul W. And um, and he asked about this comment about the possibility of food shortages. And so here's Guy introducing the topic for us. And then this, you and I come back and unpack it for everybody. Perfect. With regard to food shortage, yes, we did talk about food shortages. And it's going to be real. The, the price of these sanctions is not just imposed upon Russia. It's imposed upon an awful lot of countries as well, including European countries and our country as well. President Biden speaking at the summit uh, regarding what he says are real food shortages that will also strike the United States. So are we going to see empty shelves here? Well, it just so happens that just a week earlier, Jen Psaki, his press secretary, was asked about the very same thing. She gave what then was a contradictory statement. We're not expecting a food shortage here at home. Uh, We do anticipate that um, higher energy fertilizer, wheat and corn prices could impact the price of growing and purchasing critical food supplies. 
emphasized for countries around the world. So who's right? The president or his press secretary? Phil Knight is the host of WJR's Food First Michigan, uh, which is heard Sundays from 9 to 10 p.m. here on WJR. And he joins us live this morning. Hi there, Phil. So there it is, Jerry. Uh, seemingly, as Guy said, uh, a kind of a different perspectives from, from the administration. And, um, and maybe the context is helpful because the president was not standing in the United States when he said these r- food shortages would be real. He was standing, you know, in, in Eastern Europe. And, uh, and that seems to be where some of the trouble spot is, uh, particularly when it comes, as, he, as, as has been noted, the breadbasket of the world. I think 30 percent of all the wheat that comes to the world comes out of the Ukraine and Russia. So that's going to mean changes for us. Well, you know, before we get into, you know, some of the technical things, I just want to pause and ask our listeners this. When you hear we could have food shortages, what happens to you emotionally? What happens immediately? How do you start to to change in terms of your own? Do, do, do your muscles tense up? Do you feel a little headache coming on? Do you start doing an inventory of everything in your cupboard? Do you, do you start thinking about what the possible implications could be? Do you start thinking about what you should go out and buy right now? Maybe you think about growing your own food. I mean, who knows? But all of these things happen, right? This is what happens. There's no better way to understand food insecurity than to get in touch with what it feels like when you yourself might be out of food. So I just want to take a minute and say the whole country is reacting to this statement. The whole country is reacting to it, and they're asking themselves questions about what does this mean for me? Our work, doctor, Mm. is with people who have to ask this question every day, every week, every month. They ask themselves the question, What if I can't get the food I want and need for my family? And it changes you. It changes your priorities. And I'm guessing that just listening to that intro, you, people who are our loyal listeners and we're so grateful, started thinking differently about your situation. So now we're going to talk about why... We might be short of this or that from time to time, but there's no worry that we can see coming anyway from all the people we've talked to about the United States running out of food and having bread lines like the, the Great Depression. We, we don't see that happening. No, we don't see that happening. But, you know, I think you bring up a great point. I'm just going to unpack it a little further here because we use a phrase on this show quite often called when we say the toxic stress of food insecurity. And that's what you just described. Yeah. There's, there is an emotional, a physical uh, reaction to hearing those words, food shortages. And, you know, like you said, there are people in our community that are dealing with that toxic stress every day. It's how they live. What am I going to eat? What am I going to give my kids? And I'm, I'm going to share that, you know, one of the reasons I'm proud to be a part of the Feeding America National Network is because of the studies that they have uh, commissioned to to really examine what is it like, what is the um, repercussions, what is, what is it, uh, how does it affect a person who's living in a food insecure lifestyle so that we can come to a better understanding whether they're low in food insecurity or high food insecurity, whether at, at great risk or at less risk. It, it's, it is 
something that I think should be a driver more for our work, Jerry. Yeah, it's why we want this problem to be solved because it has an impact, right? And so uh, we talk about by providing food today, it does more than just solve today's problems. It, when, when we provide food today to people, we help them manage their monthly uh, challenges, right? Because right. they don't have to go buy that food for themselves. We also give people space to think about something else, right? Again, when somebody says, you're not going to have food tomorrow, what are you thinking about right now? How am I going to get food tomorrow? That, that's what you're thinking about, right? So to give people space in their life to accomplish whatever else they might want to, and maybe that aligns with your vision for them, and maybe it doesn't. But the bottom line is if we don't address this problem, we don't get to the next one. And so if we want a, a community of people who are thriving, we have to put what, doctor? Food first. Food first. That's exactly right. And so, so now we have a global situation where food is threatened. Um, and so people will start putting food first. Now, one of the things we don't want to see is panic buying. It will not help. It will not change. You, you are going to be able to go to the grocery store and get food this week, next week, and the next week, and a month from now. That Nothing that we see happening right now says you should be thinking about hoarding food and putting it away because it might not be available. There is nothing right now that we have seen from anywhere that says you're not going to be able to get food in the grocery store. Now, you might not be able to get some things that you usually get. That means you might have to pick a different brand, or instead of making this, you have to make that. I mean, there are, there. are you might have to make some choices in the grocery store, and we believe the prices are going to keep going up. We, we think that is going to be the case, and that is going to mean more people struggling to get all the food they need. And so one of our goals in all of this is is how do we... Make sure that if people are making substitutions, they make healthier ones, right? Because right. you, you don't want to pick bad food that's cheap. You want to pick, you want to keep eating good, healthy, nutritious food, and there will be good, healthy, nutritious food available. Uh, but that's an area that we know we can step up our game and make sure people know what those, what good choices or better choices might look like. Well, it's a lot of, you know, you talked a lot about our work, the core aspects of our work there. Uh, across the state and you know not just getting food to people but helping them understand the, the best value and and how it impacts them and uh, you know so Jerry there's a lot to unpack here uh, and maybe we should just maybe take a quick break here and come back because inflation is an issue it has been an issue it's going to continue to be an issue I think we need to unpack that a little bit we talked earlier about you know we have talked to some of the retail grocers here uh, in the state and you know and then a couple of weeks ago we talked about some of the struggles that we're having with the USDA in getting access to food so let's unpack all that for our listeners and why it matters to them and the community they live in that's Jerry Brisson I'm Dr. Phil Knight and we're both back in just a moment Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome back. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here, Food First Michigan and uh, food shortages. Jerry, uh, scary, scary words when they come together, right? Um, you know, we always say the two words shouldn't come together are children and hunger. 
But uh, food shortages, I would prefer those don't come together either. Um, but I, I think you, you covered it really well in the previous segment that, you know, let, let's everybody just turn the heat down on these on this rhetoric a little bit. We're not anticipating food shortages. There is going to be some interruptions in the supply chain. But, you know, we've been dealing with interruptions in the supply chain in the food bank world really since the beginning of the pandemic. Well, that's exactly right. And and it's, you know, we're so much more capable of managing even even the global food supply than we were, you know, even 50 years ago, right? We're we know a lot more about how to manage supply chain. And and part of the reason that there's supply chain issues is because we had it down to just in time everything. Yeah. And then when you have interruptions, they really do you know, take something to correct because, well, heck, we were we were running just in time, right? So it's just like if you're getting ready to go to a party and you and you put off getting dressed to the last minute and you can't find your shoes, all of a sudden you're late, right? <laughs> right. So you know, just in time has strengths and weaknesses, right? Pluses and minuses. There's also just just you know, for awareness' sake, countries don't have uh, absolute zero food put aside. There are worldwide reserves of most staples, right? Now, different parts of the world carry different reserves, and that's part of why there's conversations going on internationally about who ought to be given up those reserves, uh, who should those reserves go to. So so even with the, the disruptions in terms of farming and some other things because of the war, um, there are still reserves that can be put to use, and those are really, really important things for uh, internationally for us to decide how do we manage the supply of food that exists already. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, are we at the point of rationing? Well, if you're living in poverty or close to poverty, you're already rationing. Right. That's your life now. Does it mean more people are going to have to do that? Probably, because as food prices go up, and we know we're going to talk about inflation, there are going to be more people having to make tough decisions about what they can afford to buy and... How do they make their life work now that they have to spend an extra 20 or $30 a week in the store, right? And so, you know, that that is going to happen. We are going to see in some households the reality of food rationing. But across the board, we are going to have food in our grocery stores. Our farmers are already working on solutions for next year. And, and planting is coming up right now in Michigan. And, and what are they thinking about fertilizer? And, and how are they managing the supplies of seed corn and all the other things that are, that are more expensive now? Well, I mean, our Michigan Farm Bureau people, who, by the way, sponsor this show just for, uh, you know, absolute clarity, um, you know, they're telling us... They're working hard with the farmers to, to, to get the sense of where are they and what are they going to do. And thus far, the farmers are saying, we have a plan and we're going to work the plan and, and we think it's going to be okay. Yeah, I think there's two aspects here. One is uh, inflation, which food banks have been dealing with, with for months now, just like the families that we serve. So I want us to talk a little more about that. But when you bring up fertilizer... You know, that's 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 different than the cost of fertilizer is different than inflation. Right. Because of the the war in in this region, Ukraine and Russia, um, a, a lot of the nutrients, micronutrients that go into fertilizer come from this region of the world. And so we're understanding that fertilizer right now, today, 
is at, is three, if not four times more expensive than what it was a year ago. Now, Jerry, you have business degrees, so let me just throw this at you as a business person. You're the farmer, you're running a business, and all of a sudden one of the key ingredients you need to get yield is now four times more expensive than what it was last year. Is your is your margins going to be able to cover that, or <laughs> what's going to happen? Yeah, so the first thing you're going to do is look at what are your options. Do you, do you plant more because your yields per acre are going to go down? Is that the cheapest way? Is it cheaper to plant more than it is to buy the same amount of fertilizer that you used to be able to buy? What are, what are the other things that you can do to make you know, business decisions that, that take into account this new reality of here's where we are, right? How are you going to manage the yields to the market, right? But if the market is generally paying a little more already because of inflationary pressure, the truth is some of your other costs have already gone up, right? And so this is another thing. The, the likelihood is the margins are not going to cover that full cost of that and the other you know pieces of the business that are right. going up, including interest rates and other things that you as a farmer may be depending on staying low because of how you've leveraged your, your business, right? So there's a lot of things that people have to decide. But let me just say this about farmers. Every year, there's a decision to be made. We had terrible floods not that long ago that totally changed the way farmers had to manage planting and then later harvesting. Mm -hmm. And they find a way. Farmers are incredibly resilient. They're incredibly smart. They have lots of tools at their disposal to manage the crises that come their way. And it seems like, you know, there's something every year that they have to manage. How does this compare to some of the other challenges? The frost that we had right at harvest time a couple of years ago. Remember the Arctic blast that came through uh -huh. during planting season? Yep. I mean, you know, what was the impact of that? Enormous, right? Enormous impact. So, I mean, I believe in our farmers. I, I believe that they have contingency plans and then contingencies for those contingencies. And, and that seems to be the message we're getting from growers is... Just hang on. We're figuring this out, and, and we'll let you know if there's a, there's a bigger issue to deal with. Will we see inflation? Yes, I think that's true. How much? We don't know yet. Well, we've seen it, and uh, now this is just added on, on top of that. Because I said on the show with Guy um, that, that we, we've been dealing with inflation for months now. Longer lines. Uh, eight months in a row now, the increase in the community has, has shown up. And then now inflation, we're paying more. Food banks buy more food than they've ever bought in their history. And now we're paying more for that food. And and, and that's a struggle. So it's it's kind of the perfect storm that we talked about a few weeks ago on the show. But um, it's, it's inflation, it seems it's going to be with us for a while. And that affects everybody. That affects every home. Some are able to handle it better than others, and but those who are struggling with more month than money anyway, inflation takes a big, pretty big dent out of that monthly income that they have. And some of the key programs that support uh, low-income people uh, take a time before they adjust to inflation, right? Whether that's mm -hmm. SNAP or whether that's Social Security, you know, right. they, it, it doesn't happen in a minute, right? It takes time for for those programs to adjust to inflation. So, so in fact, it's somewhat easier to adjust to unemployment than it is to inflation, sure, because the systems are built to adjust to unemployment. 
right. but not necessarily to inflation, and particularly if it's steep. So we're watching that very carefully. We're paying real close attention to who starts coming and, and why they're saying they need more help. And that's part of how we inform the legislature and the governor and, and even, you know, the Feeding America lobbyists and other people about what's happening on the ground. So they have that information to make good decisions. And we know we've got some things going through the process right now, the budget process in particular, that could really make a difference. So all this ties together into where we need to be as a community to serve our neighbors. We're going to talk about one of those pieces of legislation in the next segment, Jerry, and that's Senate Bill 885 that's sponsored in the Ag Committee in the Senate by Senator Senator Roger Victory, who has been a guest on this show and is also one of the farmers that supports our work across the state. He's Jerry Basson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight, and we're back. You come back and be with us, too. Food first, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Welcome back, everyone. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight, here in the studio at WJR, the golden tower of the Fisher Building. It's great to be back here. Um, we were back just recently, but this is like our second time back, so... I'm just glad to be back. Yeah, it really is good to to see you, Doctor, and to see Mark, our producer, who, you know, really does so much to make us uh, seem our best. And we can't we can't probably relay the thousands of mistakes he's corrected and the... Uh, <laughs> Today. <laughs> well, it's good to, you know, uh, have the opportunity to be with Guy on one of his shows uh, and to... To, for this issue of food security to be kind of front and center and and a high value for WJR and their work um, to support this program and also the work of the seven Feeding America food banks that the Food Bank Council represents across the state. Uh, on the other side of the that previous uh, session, uh, Jerry, I mentioned Senate Bill 885. So this is an ag bill that's being proposed uh, by the Senate Ag Committee, and the chair of that uh, committee is Senator Roger Victory, who I shared was um, the senator, chair of the Ag Committee, but also one of our farmers. And um, and so he believes in his work. He's been a guest on this show. Uh, in fact, we should do like a who's who's been on this show here because it's pretty impressive, I think. So Senate Bill 888 is a pretty big bill. It's a $1.4 billion bill. And uh, it would it would really shore up infrastructure in uh, and throughout the entire uh, agricultural system. But there's one program in there I want to pull out and highlight because it helps us address the food shortages that food banks um, are are dealing with. Um, you may have to unpack that and explain what I mean by food shortages, but that's what we do on this show. I make a statement, <laughs> you clarify it. So... Um, you remember back in the pandemic, we had the Farm to Family Food Box Program from the USDA. Well, they are proposing in Senate Bill 885 a Michigan version of that. And and the difference is they really want the food to run through the food bank network to help ensure that the food that gets distributed to the community is very safe. So um, it's timely and needed, and I'll, I'll leave it to you to clarify all of my... Uh, 
my 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 sharing there. Uh, that's all right. You know, food shortages, more more price increases, and and not everything is available as it was. Right. So so it looks like a shortage if you're trying to hit a budget. <laughs> <laughs> But in fact, there is food available for us. We just got to figure out, like farmers are figuring out how to deal with increased prices, so our food banks, right? But the the Department of Agriculture and Rural Development has worked closely with food banks for a long, long time. And, uh, and back when the Michigan Agricultural Surplus System first started, you know, they were one of the key people that fed into how Michigan growers could help the food banks get food at a at a you know at a reduced price um, so that the return on every invested dollar was significant, right? And it helped promote one of the largest industries in the state of Michigan. So there's a lot of wins that happen as a result of the Michigan agriculture surplus system. Based on that experience, as well as the experience of the National Food Box Program, um, Gary McDowell, who's the who's the director of the Michigan Agriculture and Rural Development um, Program, he said, you know what? We should get better returns. We, we we should do this again. We should do more of this. This this is really good for hungry families. It's really good for our farmers. It's really good for the transportation industry as well as the producers and other people involved in the food supply chain. And it could help stabilize some of the stuff we're seeing in our state right now, mm-hmm. so that. Not only are we taking care of food insecurity, but we're also shoring up the infrastructure and things that we need for all of us, right? To get yeah. the food that we want at a price that's right for us. Now, farmers, if they could, would grow food and, and give it away. <laughs> I, I know. I know they would. If they could do it, they would do it in a minute. And a lot of them do. A lot of them donate a huge part of what they grow every year because they care so much about their neighbors and that's just who they are right but you can't grow food indefinitely on a scale to just give away i mean eventually you got a business to run right and so what the ag bill does is it is it puts all these things together and says we're going to support our farmers at a price point that actually helps them not hurts them we're going to support the the people transporting the food we're going to support the producers right they they got to have it at a price point that it doesn't hurt anybody but it's a price point that still produces a lot of value when you're out there trying to find available food. And so the bill is it's comprehensive, it's well thought out, it helps a lot of people, and for our work, it would fill a big need because we're at a five-year low in terms of the amount of food we are getting from the government right now, but the need isn't at a five-year low. Right. right. The need is still at a, you know, it's not at a the high point that we had during the pandemic, but there's still a lot of uncertainty and challenges that households are facing in many different respects. And so we are seeing increased need over what it was prior to the pandemic. So right. we got to balance the scales there. I think uh, I think this bill really does a good job. Uh, you also mentioned food safety. So one of the things we learned from the Farm to Food Box program is you can't give food to just anybody to distribute because people don't have the wherewithal not only to make sure that it's at the right temperature and that it's stored properly, whether it's dry or frozen or or refrigerated food, but there are things called food recalls, right? And, mm. and, and you might remember some of them. There was a huge lettuce recall not that long ago, and everyone had to go through their kitchen and throw out a bunch of lettuce. There was a potato recall not that long ago. There was a peanut butter recall. Well, if you just give the food willy-nilly to just anybody, 
They don't know where that food went. They don't know who got it and how much they got. So if there's a recall, and these recalls happen literally every week on either a small or large scale, they have no ability to go back to the community and say, wait a minute, we that that's not safe. We didn't know, and you need to dispose of that. Food banks do that all the time. That right. is part of the promise we make to the community. We keep inventory. We know exactly where the food is and how much everybody got. So if there's ever a problem, within 24 hours of knowing there's a problem, we can get it all back or disposed of. That's hmm. a critical benefit of food banks. And so, you know, the ag bill accounts for that and writes it into the legislation, which really should be done for any food distribution program. And that is to say that if you're going to distribute food, if you're an organization that wants to help your community, then we say Godspeed. But there's a way to do this work so that it ensures that the food is distributed in a safe uh, manner, as the USDA would would and should require. And what we're saying is, uh, what I think I hear you saying is, this should be the standard across all of the food distribution programs. And we'd sure like to see that written into legislation because that's how you keep the community safe while you're helping people. Well, you know, we had Director McDowell with us the other week when he toured the new facility at Gleaners down in Taylor. And one of the points you made, Jerry, that I thought was really brilliant was that all of this, 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 you know, everything from the, the nodes to make sure the Internet is relaying across the building to the walk-in freezers and refrigerators and, and a fleet of trucks that do the same thing. And the knowledge of how to keep food safe that so many employees in the food banks have to know, just like in retail grocery, right, that, that you go to this expense, food banks go to this expense. So down the line, distrib- uh, pantries, distribution nodes don't have to. That's exactly right. I mean, even when, you know, many years ago when Gleaners put its very first freezer and cooler in, the first thing that happened was there was about a dozen agencies that could turn theirs off because they Mm. didn't need them anymore, right? Mm. They, They didn't have to worry about taking a whole truckload of something and need to put it in the freezer or the cooler because because gleaners could do that. And food banks provide that service as part of how they manage the safety net for our communities. And so it's it's not only more efficient, but, but significantly less costly to centralize as much of that as possible. Now, I just said some things about just-in-time, good and bad. One of the good things about it is now our, our partners who are distributing frozen or refrigerated food only need very small capacity just for that day's distribution then we can come the next day with more food right so so it it just makes the whole system work better and and the price point goes down and we can do more and better so just to close this session out um in regard to food safety we welcome and are inclusive of anyone who really wants to help their community become food secure. And they can help us do this work. Food banks bring agencies, partners own all the time. We're just saying there should be a standard for food safety as it goes out to and for the community. Exactly, and you don't have to reinvent that standard. We already got it. We are that standard. That's right. Jerry and I are back in just a moment. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for being with us. Jerry, here's a part of this conversation that we haven't touched on. I don't have any personal experience. I don't think you do either. 
but it doesn't stop us from being empathetic. One of the things that the president said in his uh, clip that we played earlier in the show was that sanctions don't just affect the, the country that they're intended to, to impact. In this case, it would be Russia. Sanctions really affect everybody. You know, now hopefully they, they achieve their design and, and this, this war can stop sooner than it started. And, but, but sanctions affect everyone. So I just for a, for a minute, I'd say I don't, I don't have any experience in war. I don't think you do either. But um, it doesn't stop us from being very empathetic about what food shortages people in the Ukraine are dealing with what impact the sanctions are going to have on the everyday average person who lives in Russia. The family who wasn't looking for expansion, they were just looking to keep living their life, right? Um, it, it's, it's bothersome, I'll say that. Well, I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of reasons for us all to just keep praying and keep hoping and, and keep providing what help we can. I mean, um, you know, there is, there is a lot of suffering going on as a result of this, and, and we are aware of it. And, and we're aware that, you know, to cause that kind of suffering, you got to have a, a pretty big ego. I mean, I'm sorry, but that, that's just a lot of, like, how could you want that? It just, it's, it's really, truly mind-blowing. But, but aside from, you know, the, the motivations of those responsible, um, you know, our hearts do go out to the people who are most affected by the war and the sanctions. I mean, there are bridges destroyed. There are warehouses destroyed. It's hard to move product from place to place. There are millions of people moving to where the food is because where they are, there is no food. Right. You know, I read an article the other day that said the Russian military has to get the food they can from the Ukraine farms because they're not being supplied the food they need even for their own military. I mean, you know, it's just so chaotic and difficult. And um, so our hearts do go out to to everyone who's affected by this, um, certainly in Ukraine and Russia, but, but uh, the, the rest of the world who is more closer to this, who is seeing the impact in their family right now. Yeah, the other side of this thing, too, that I, I think is is important to bring out is is food shortages. There are families in the United States that deal with food shortages every day, every week, every month. Um, and the, the 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 one of the reasons we always talk about a solution on the show and and uh, and guy even remarked that we're so solution oriented on Food First Michigan. And I'm thankful for that. We are. Um, is because w- we grow plenty of food in this world to feed this world. Plenty of food. Plenty of food. And our farmers have proven, as you talked about, Jerry, they can pivot to the need. Now, we probably need our federal government to be able to pivot a little faster to the need, but, but you know, that's another show for, on another day. But, but I'm, I, I just want to make sure that we're turning down the the flame a little bit on this food shortage conversation. We grow plenty of food for the world to feed the world. And for livestock too. I mean, yeah. you know, we, you know, there's, it, 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 we're, we're a very populous country right here, but, but we've got some of the smartest and best farmers that have ever lived 
right? Yeah. Right now, right now. And so, you know, one of the great benefits of knowing farmers is your, your respect for them just continues to grow. They're amazing people. And so, uh, and so we, you know, are certainly, we, while we turn the flame down on don't, you don't got to worry about food in the grocery store, it is an opportunity to remind everybody that food shortages for some households are now. But it's not because they can't, there isn't food in the grocery store. It's because even if there is, they don't know how to make ends meet to get the food they need for their families. And that's why we do what we do. Yep. So so uh, always a good reminder why we keep food first. And, uh, and again, hopefully you've learned a little bit on this show um, dealing specifically with the urgent issue of what's happening with, with food and, and the consequences of the war. Well, Jerry, time for a little food for thought. Life is more than a headline or the size of a tweet or even a blurb from a president's speech. You have to dig. And when it comes to understanding the issues, challenges, impact, and solutions around food insecurity, Jerry and I are committed to do the digging that unearths the truth for you and with you. If food insecurity impacts it, we want to be your first source of information that clearly defines reality. Our mission is to be straightforward with you, our listeners. We understand the value of food, the severity of not having enough, and both the consequences and blessings enough food brings with it. That's why we believe for you, for us, and for everyone, it should always be food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.